0: Everyone, welcome to Log Rocket. Sorry, Pod Rocket. No, well, actually, so actually today it is both Log Rocket and Pod Rocket um, because I have a very, very special guest, Pascal Crete, who is the VP of Engineering here at Log Rocket and also was employee number one at Log Rocket. So he's been a member of our team basically forever. Um, And I'm super excited to have him on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ben.
0: It's good to be here. Doing well. Um, so yeah, I guess I had a Freudian slip in my intro because mm-hmm. we are on Pod Rocket, but today we're gonna to be talking about Log Rocket. And I think there's a lot of things we could talk about. I think what may be potentially interesting to our audience to start with first is like an overview of how our systems all work. Um, you know, we're I think folks probably know the product, though so maybe we can just start with like a 30-second intro about the product itself. I, I don't want this to turn into an advertisement for the product, but it's helpful just to give some context like what LogRocket does. And then we can kind of dive into how the system is architected and all that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think probably the most interesting thing to talk about when it comes to how LogRocket works is talking about the data that we have. Um, and essentially, what we record is everything that happens on the screen. So in LogRocket, you can get a video of everything the user has done alongside everything you would see in your Chrome Developer Console. So network, logs, exceptions, performance, um, all of it. And the general idea behind LogRocket, and now it is turning into an ad, sorry, is that you can record what your users do, and then you can figure out what they've done after the fact. So if you have a user that went through, I don't know, a checkout flow, they clicked on a button, the button didn't work, uh, you can then go into LogRocket, you can see them go through that checkout flow, you can see them click the button, and you can then see, okay, a network request went out, uh, it flaked out at our CDN, an exception got thrown, the button didn't work, uh, and now I have something I can try to reproduce and try to fix instead of just getting, hey, this doesn't work, and some poor engineer needs to go figure out how to reproduce.
0: And I think the kind of the obvious first thing to talk about there is the video. So, what is the video? You know, that or I can I can say this is session replay, it's a technology that, um, you know, has, has been around for a fairly long time, certainly predates Log Rocket itself, though I think there's a some of the things that we do around session replay or many of the things are unique and our implementation of session replay is pretty unique. So maybe you could explain to us like what session replay is, how it works, and we can go from there.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing to highlight there is it's not video. Um, and that surprises a lot of people. It does look exactly like a video, but what we're recording is the DOM. And so the DOM over time, we'll take a snapshot of the HTML when the page loads, we'll record diffs over time, record mouse positions, scroll positions, inputs. Uh, and you can put that all back together to look like a video, um,
0: but it's not. Got it. And so when you say putting it back together, um, could you talk more about like how that replay works? And, and maybe even before that, like how do you capture a diff to the DOM? How do you know when the DOM changes? Like How does that work from a JavaScript perspective?
1: Yeah, so the first thing we'd capture is just a snapshot of the DOM, and that you can get by walking the DOM as it stands. Um, And then right around, I think, IE6, IE7, browsers added this API called Mutation Observer. Uh, And what that does is you can observe any DOM element and all of its children, and it'll tell you when something changes. It's a pretty verbose API. It'll tell you parameter A changed, parameter B changed, um, node got added, node got removed. you pretty much get every change on the DOM. And so you can kind of treat it like Git, where you have an initial state up front and then diffs over time. What we do at Replay is we take that initial DOM snapshot, we put it in an iframe, uh, and then we apply those diffs over time so that the is actually doing the re-rendering for the video. Uh, And the only thing that we really render ourselves is the mouse, which is, surprise, uh, an image of a mouse. And so we'll put that image of a mouse over the video, we'll fix scroll positions, we'll fix inputs, uh, and it ends up looking exactly like a video with all of the browser rendering
0: applied. And what about like um, style sheets or images, um, like things that could change between the time a session is originally recorded and then when you subsequently replay the session?
1: Yeah, good question. We essentially just cache them. So we will download your images, your CSS, uh, cache them ourselves, rewrite your DOM a little bit to point at those cached assets, uh, and then use those. It also means that you don't actually have to upload all of your images from the browser. Uh, that would be a little, little too much bandwidth usage for us. So when we see an image tag, we'll gra- go grab the source,
0: we'll download it, um, we'll cache it, and then reuse it at playback time so they don't change. Got it. And yeah, performance is an interesting question. So. I know there's a, quite a lot we do with regards to performance and ensuring that our recording doesn't slow down someone's web application. So to the extent you're comfortable sharing, like, what are maybe some of the more interesting things we do to preserve performance?
1: Yeah, I think most of the audience is probably aware of web workers. And that's probably the biggest piece we do is we try to do as much work as possible in a worker. Uh, You can't do all of it in a worker. All of the capture still has to happen in the main thread. Uh, But most of our performance optimizations are around how do we not block the main thread. Uh, And so we have a little control loop that runs that looks at how much time are we taking up, how much CPU, memory, network. um, And we actually end up adjusting how much we record and what fidelity we record at based on how much time we're taking up. Uh, At the end of the day, if there's no network, uh or we're blocking the CPU or something like that, we will actually just turn off. Uh, we're not more important than your
0: app, as much as I would like that to be true. And when you say fidelity, so like, you know, if you were just capturing a video, then you could just record a low resolution or fidelity. But when you're capturing DOM elements, what where is the degree of like variability and fidelity? Or like what can you stop recording but still um, add value if you have to slow down your recording to the performance?
1: When you're capturing video, one of the things you can slow down is frame rate. And so we actually end up diffing less frequently as things get busier. Um, So by default, we might say every 200 milliseconds, we take a diff. Uh, If the network is really bad, maybe we'll go to 500 milliseconds or every second. And every second is still enough that if the user clicks on something and it changes, uh, it's a pretty instantaneous experience at playback. We can also drop things like large logs, large network. Um, performance data ultimately doesn't change that much if you currently have 100 megabytes of memory usage, and then 10 seconds later it's 120, you can kind of guess roughly what happened in the meantime. So we can slow some of those streams down as well.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but with the DOM, we're not taking a snapshot every X number of seconds. Like we're, The mutation observer is telling us when things have changed. So, what is What exactly do you mean by like slowing down your frame rate or sampling rate to every n seconds?
1: Correct. So we actually record all of the mutations that happen, but we more or less just mark elements as dirty. So we can say this element was mutated in some way, uh, and then every second or so go through all of the elements that have been mutated and find the minimal set of mutations. So if you imagine that you add a class and then you immediately remove that class again, if it happens within 10 milliseconds, we shouldn't have to record that. And so we'll look at what has changed over the last 200 milliseconds and remove anything that's duplicate or has been undone again uh, to create
0: kind of our final diff. It makes sense. And I'm curious... um... LogRocket recently launched a mobile version of Session Replay for iOS and Android. Um, I, I myself am significantly less familiar with mobile development than I am with web development. So maybe we could start with, start with iOS or Android or, or both, like whatever you think is uh, easiest to kind of comprehend, curious to understand like, how Session Replay on mobile works, how mobile applications are structured, um, and yeah, we can go from there.
1: Yeah, when you say you didn't know how, how mobile works, neither did we, uh, we're a team of web developers. So it was, a, it was a learning experience. At the end of the day, mobile is sort of traditional graphics processing, You're, you have draw operations that happen to some sort of canvas or frame buffer. Uh, and then the screen shows the, the composite of those draw operations. So what we can do, and let's take Android because it's open source and you can actually go look at the underlying code here, um, we can capture the draw operations that happen. Uh, and then at that point, it's very much like a DOM. You have a tree of operations in different parts of the window, uh, and you can record those, you can upload those,
0: and then you can play them back on a web canvas. Got it. So it's kind of like for, for web developers, we're used to the HTML canvas. You say, draw a line, draw a rectangle, draw text. Um, and LogRocket on, on Android is just listening to those. So we, we have some way of like polyfilling or, you know, listening on those draw operations. Every time it happens, we record that. I w- I'm curious, like, from a performance perspective, Intuitively, it would seem like there's like orders of magnitude more draw operations in like a mobile app and there would be changes to DOM in a equivalent web app. But is that true or not? And if so, how do we think about that?
1: Yeah, same problem as web in many ways. So we have a, we have a DOM, we have way too many mutations coming out of mutation Observer, and every few hundred milliseconds, we decide, okay, now is a good time to capture. You can do the same on mobile. Um, one of the things you can do on Android is you can tell a view to draw itself. And so you can, on demand, get all of the draw operations that that view has most recently performed, and you can record those separately. And so now you get into sort of optimizations that I don't want to get too deeply into around when do you ask a view to redraw itself, where do you capture those operations, and then how do you play them back?
0: Got it. But, okay, so essentially every time we want to take a screenshot so to speak instead of like taking a screenshot and having like you know lots of pixels that we have to capture we just ask hey view how would you draw yourself if you had to redraw yourself right now which is a lot less data than an actual screenshot and then we keep track of that draw operation and when we do the replay how how does that work
1: yeah, that's an interesting, interesting question, an interesting problem. So, at the lowest level, it's a very similar API. If you look at the canvas, and it's actually called a canvas on Android and a web canvas, it's draw line, draw circle, uh, draw shadows, whatever it may be. Um, unfortunately, there are small changes throughout. So, if you look at things like compositing and how they composite colors and the compositing modes available things are a little bit different. Um, So a lot of what we had to do to make this replay happen is re-implement some of those compositing ones. Um, How about iOS? Well, iOS is a little bit more more fun. Um, iOS development ends up being a little more, I don't know if reverse engineering is the right word, but you can't just go in, you can't just read the code. And at this point, there's also layers upon layers of of APIs. Uh, Every time Apple changes their draw APIs or how you build views, um, they keep the old stuff around and they build on that to create the newer things. Um, So iOS does have something that looks a lot like Canvas. They call it a CA layer. Um, And that CA layer can receive draw operations. Um, The difference for iOS is that it's actually structured a lot more like a DOM. Uh, You don't have one canvas, you have many canvases, Uh, and they get drawn to almost like a a DOM sort of rectangle. Here's the button, we draw the contents of the button, uh, and then it composites all of those layers together, um, which lets it do very interesting things, like very smooth animations. It can composite a layer, and then it can just move that layer across the screen without having to redraw it. Um, But we can also
0: capture those same operations. Any substantial differences between like the iOS capture and replay method or Android, or it's kind of like, obviously, there's there's differences, but like conceptually, reasonably similar? Conceptually, reasonably
1: similar, and our playback code is, at this point, identical. So we can take a stream of Android draw events and a stream of iOS draw events, uh, and we've got it down to a point where those will play back the same.
0: And so what well, i'm curious is on you know on web there's kind of like you build your apps with the dom you have javascript there's not like a lot of choice in terms of tooling obviously there's a million frameworks but it sounds like log rocket well, i know log rocket is agnostic as to to what framework you know whether you're using react or or, Vue, or like we're, we we sit at a layer below where frameworks matter so it doesn't really affect us on web for the most part um, i'm curious on mobile There's, I mean, obviously on Android and iOS, completely different tool chains, different programming languages. And even on each platform, you have different options on Android. There's like Dart, Flutter, there's um, React Native for both iOS and Android. So like, does, does it matter what tool chain you're using? And, and if so, like, what have we have to, what have we had to done to do in, in building LogRocket to support all these different tool chains?
1: Yeah, I will say I don't envy mobile engineers, especially if you're on the hook for supporting a legacy app in both iOS and Android. And someone started rewriting your Objective-C Swift, Objective C in Swift, your Java and Kotlin, now you need to know four languages. And someone up high said, okay, now we're rewriting this whole thing in React Native, uh, and now you have a fifth. It's kind of like that, that comic about um, standards, and now there's another standard. So we support the native code, Objective-C, Swift, Java, Kotlin. If you're interacting with uh, native iOS or Android APIs, that all works fine. Um, when it comes to the the modern sort of shims where you write something once, and I think the truth is you write most of it once and then you still end up with a little bit of Swift code and a little bit of Kotlin code um, for the platform-specific pieces. Um, There, it gets a little more tricky. So we support React Native. um, And if you're on the web and you write something in React, then all of your bugs are in JavaScript. That's just not true on mobile. Your bug might be in JavaScript or in Swift or Kotlin. Um, And then currently we don't support Flutter and Xamarin. They all work roughly the same. You have this sort of bridge between the language they're written in, whether it's Dart or C-sharp or JavaScript. Um, So we can still record the native side, but you won't get your Dart issues. You won't get your C-sharp exceptions. Um, And those are things that we're looking at for the future.
0: Do we do set like screen capture if you like if you would happen in in Flutter Dart, do we do the screen capture, but just not have like exceptions or crashes or logs or even the screen capture would require us to do more in the future to, to support
1: it depends a little bit on how your app is built, but for the most part, we won't capture the screen. Um, they end up using their own draw code. In the case of, of Flutter, they have a very similar library to what Android uses, uh, but they re-implement a
0: lot of the the rendering code themselves. Got it. And for React Native, does React Native use the same render? I have the native rendering on iOS and Android, and that's why we're able to support React Native?
1: that. And we happen to already have a JavaScript SDK that we could reuse a fair amount of code from. Um, so that was just a pretty easy lift for us. Um, and as you know, LogRocket actually came out of a pivot from a React Native company. Um, so we have some, some prior experience there.
0: I'm curious, like in terms of what you're seeing in the market when you talk to teams that are using LogRocket or not using LogRocket, just general engineering teams who are building mobile apps, does it seem like React Native is you know, taking over more and more of the market? Or is there still a place for, for true native apps? And how do teams kind of think about that choice?
1: I think something we see a lot is that very small teams will start with one native app and they'll write it in Swift because the engineer knows Swift. Um, and then they'll be told, okay, now also build an Android one. And maybe they start writing it in Kotlin. And then they decide that the team is too small and we're going to use react native or flutter or, or one of those tool sets as they get bigger they go back to writing it in the native code um, it's just much nicer at the end of the day to write in all native code if you have the team to support it um, so it largely depends on on company size and how much of a priority that their, their mobile app is if it's a sort of second class citizen and you put it out just because people want it then it's probably in react native um, if it's a fr- true first-class citizen, it's probably written in a native language.
0: That's, that's interesting because I, I would have thought it's te- it's the decision is typically like, okay, we need a mobile app. Oh, let's just use React Native because they will work on iOS and Android. And I know it's not that straightforward, but you could you know say you get to share 70% of your code. But it sounds like what you've seen is people decide we're going to support iOS or Android first. They build native on that platform. And then when they go to the other platform, then they're like, oh, well, we should, it'll be easier to use React Native for that other platform.
1: Yeah, and of course, it depends on the team you have, what they know, what they're comfortable with. Uh, but the truth is, if you're going to build something in React Native, you're also learning the native bases. It's almost unavoidable, unless it's really trivial. You will have something on the native side that you need to support separately. And then you're supporting three,
0: five languages. So shifting gear, shifting gears completely here, um, you know, as I mentioned early on, Pascal, you were the first engineer on the team here and now, um, you know, lead all of engineering and it's probably, I, I should probably know this, what, 35 people or something like that on the engineering team. Um in the um, 30s. So yeah, well, what has that journey been like? What are... What, what 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 do you what, if you could tell yourself from five years ago something? What would you what would you what what uh, advice would you share? <laughs> um, well, that's a good that's a good question.
1: I think a lot of the advice is ju- just kind of go with it. Um, embrace embrace the change. It goes from three people to ten people really fast, and then for us, it's also gone from ten people to more than hundred people really really quickly. And it's not going to be the same. Um, You you start talking about things like culture and how to keep the culture the same. But I think in many ways, you, you just try to keep the things that are good and you get rid of things that are bad. And some of the good things will come along from new people and some of the bad things will come along with new people and you just kind of have to embrace it. So I think I was a lot more change averse five years ago. Um, and the other piece is if you're moving from engineering into management, you're not going to code as much and you just kind of have to accept that. And that takes a little bit of time. Do you write
0: code nowadays or, or not, not much?
1: Not, not enough to say I write code. Yeah, um, I've dabbled a little bit in the mobile code just so I know what's going on, uh, but I think the, the team has done the bulk of the work there for sure. Do you still write code?
0: Um, rarely, very rarely, (laughs) not if, not if anyone else has anything to say about it. (laughs) I I still hear once in a while, I'll, I'll hear engineers gleefully talking about old code I wrote and how they recently removed it. And and that's a, it's a good place to be. If it's lasted five years, it it did its job. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining us, Pascal. Um, Normally, this is the point of the episode where you know, I ask our guest, do you want to plug you know, your project or something you're working on? But I feel like we've already talked a lot about Log Rocket. but perhaps um, I, I know we're always hiring engineers. So are, are you uh, any particular roles you want to highlight that we're hiring
1: for? We are always hiring engineers and I'll just plug Log Rocket in this spot in case you haven't heard of it. Um, a lot of what we hire are full stack engineers. If you're not afraid of of new code, of different code, um, we are happy to talk to you. Uh, If you like infrastructure, SRE, security, uh, we are more than happy to talk to you. So please reach out to myself, to our recruiting team, whoever you can find. Uh, It doesn't hurt to have a conversation. And yeah, go use LogRocket. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks!